Well, good morning again. I got it from Carl. Hi, Carl. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, we are continuing our studies of the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, we're going to look at verse 28 and make it all the way through chapter 17, verse 9. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and the guys will get one to you so you can follow along with us. It's always interesting when all the ladies are down at the women's retreat and uh, you guys, you make it here and good for you guys. And and uh, I, I taught last year at the uh, Joplin's Calvary Chapel during the retreat and Jeff was here and they have a lot more ladies that go and they was like just a handful of guys that made it to church since Sunday morning. And so uh, you guys are good. You did great today and glad you're here. And we're going to continue our study now through the Gospel of Matthew. Starting in verse 28 of Matthew chapter 16, we read, Assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Verse 1, Now after six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and He was transfigured, transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and His clothes became as white as the light, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we have this morning to spend together in your word. And what a joy it is, Lord, whether there's two people or two thousand, Lord, to be able just to be in your word, knowing that your spirit is here to teach us, instruct us, encourage us, and lead us through your word and the way that you'd have us to go and the way that you'd have us to live. We thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in our hearts. We pray, Father, for the ladies at the retreat that you'd bless their final morning together, Lord. Uh, just speak to them, Lord, through the teaching. Lord, we pray that you'd bless now our time together. Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to surrender their heart and life to, we pray for them, Lord, specifically today, Lord, that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. Bless our time together, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With all the hype going on with the new movie that's been out, I decided to title my study this morning, The Real Endgame Avenger. This movie that's come out, The Avenger Endgame, just released, was the most expensive film to make, they say, hovering somewhere just over the $400 million mark to make. But I also read in the opening that just in the opening weekend, last weekend in the United States, they raked in $540 million in just the one week. And so they, they, they you know, made up their money what it cost to make the, the film. And then by tonight, they should pass the $2 billion mark worldwide on this film. And so they, you know, they had this cliffhanger last year and, and people have been watching the trailers and coming up with what they think will happen in the movie and coming up with all sorts of ideas and how is this going to be resolved and what are they going to do and you got the videos, well I think this is going to happen, I think this is going to happen and there's been this huge buildup of this thing and now it's released and people are going to see the movies and there's been fights 
at movie theaters, when the guys would come out who have seen the movies, and they that haven't seen it, they're still waiting in line, and they start to mention what's happened in the plot of the movie. In fact, in Hong Kong, a man in Hong Kong learned that the hard way when after seeing the movie, he began loudly revealing plot details outside the theater. They say his injuries weren't too serious. Now, if you follow the Marvel movies, you can still know, if you don't follow the Marvel movies, you can still know who the greatest Avenger is. We found it in Scripture. We've known it all along. 1 Thessalonians 4, 6. Paul says, that no one should take advantage of you and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the Avenger of all the such. Also, we also forewarned you and testified. Well, what we have in Matthew chapter 16 and 17, really verses 1 through 8, 9, is a sneak preview, a trailer, if you would, of what's going to happen. Now, it's been 2,000 years since the preview, but it doesn't make it any less exciting. It all began when Jesus allowed a few of disciples to see the end game, to see Jesus in all his glory, because Matthew 17 is what we commonly refer to as the transfiguration. Now, up until this point, Jesus had been speaking about the cross, but in the disciples' mind, that didn't fit into their scheme of, as far as what the Messiah was, was concerned about, what, what the Messiah would be. I mean, in their way of thinking, Messiah was to come. He was going to be coming and conquer, reign and set up his kingdom. They had no understanding of the crucified Savior, the suffering Messiah. They only saw him as a king reigning upon the earth. And so they weren't very encouraged when Jesus would speak of the cross. Or when he said at the end of chapter 16 and verse 21 that he would go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. All they heard was he was going to be killed. They never heard the part about him being raised on the third day. Now that is why we come to chapter 17 as Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples in light of the cross. You see, Jesus's, the transfiguration was Jesus' way of encouraging his disciples, letting them know, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. That God can transform our sufferings into glory. In fact, the cross leads to glory. You see, earlier Peter had said, Lord, no way should you be crucified. Be that far from you. And Jesus had, had to rebuke Peter and, and, and had said, uh, you know, get behind me, Satan, because you're saying the things not of God, but of men. So now Jesus has to educate them that the cross and the suffering lead to glory. That, that's always God's principles. If we suffer now for him, we will reign with him then. If we, if we bear the cross now, we will bear the crown then. In fact, Peter in his first epistle said just that. He said in, in verse, chapter 1, verse 11 of 1 Peter that the prophets saw the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And that's what we see in the story of the transfiguration. Now, if you're taking notes, there are three scenes, if you will, that should excite you, that should want you to see the whole movie opening in the near future and heaven only. Three things I want to point out that you can use in your own life to encourage you when difficult times come. Number one, the vision. Number two, the visitors. And number three, the voice. Number one, the vision. Look at what verses one and two of chapter 17. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. So the vision, or what the disciples are seeing here, it was simply the transfiguration of Jesus himself. And notice it says it was after six days. 
Well, to understand that, you need to understand when the Bible was originally written, that it wasn't written with chapters and verses in mind there. We've included chapters and verses for easy referencing, but it was first written, there was no chapter breaks and division breaks. And, and, and I have to say, some of the times that they got it wrong. And here's an example of that. Because if you go back to chapter 16, for a moment, in verse 27, Jesus is speaking and says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father. Now again, he's been speaking about the cross and denying yourself and following him and so forth. And he says, one day he will come in the glory of his Father with angels and then he will reward each according to his works. And then he says this in verse 28, Assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So what does that mean? That there's some standing there that are not going to taste death till they see Jesus coming in his kingdom? Well, the answer we just read in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 17. When they saw Jesus transfigured before them, they saw a preview of the coming kingdom, a coming attraction, if you will, of, of, well, of Jesus, you know, of Jesus after he died. When Peter, James, and John had not tasted death yet, they were given the sneak preview of Jesus coming in power and glory. See, a lot of times they'll read verse 28 of chapter 16 and they'll, and people, they'll be confused. Well, I thought all the disciples died. How, how can that be? The Bible's wrong. I mean, Jesus didn't come back. And what's going on there? Well, because the, the answer is in chapter 17, the transfiguration. Six days later, Jesus took them up on the mountain and he was transfigured there before them. Now notice who Jesus took with him to see this vision. Peter, James, and John. Now why Peter, James, and John? Well, we really don't know. I mean, some feel that they had a greater capacity for spiritual things and that they had a greater love for the Lord. Not that the Lord loved, you know, had loved them more than the other disciples, but they were the ones who had a greater receptivity and, and comprehension of spiritual things. Perhaps there is that sense that uh, we are as close to the Lord as we choose to be. If we have a hunger for Him and desire to be with Him, then He grants that request. And He draws that inner circle and we see His glory and experience His power in ways that maybe others do not. We become privileged in that sense that we draw near to God and the Bible says He will draw near to us. Now another commentator, Gail Irwin, if you've listened to him and before read his books, he says the reason Jesus took Peter, James, and John is because they were the remedial group. In other words, like when you were in school and you had to stay after class and get caught up on the subject because you weren't doing so well, that's why Jesus called these guys. They needed a little extra help. Peter, James, John, you need to stay after class. But think about this. These three are commonly called the inner circle. And there are several times in Scripture where Jesus does pull them together, pull them aside from the other disciples to teach them something different, to something special. One of the first times he took them into a house of a man whose whose daughter had died. And after moving all the mockers out, Jesus brought the young girl back to life. And Peter and James and John saw Jesus' power over death. The second time, Jesus would take them to the Garden of Gethsemane. As he prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Peter, James, and John would understand that, that Jesus submitted himself to his, to his death. And then the third time, right here in Matthew 17, Jesus takes these three up on the mountain where they will see him glorified in death. Now, what do these all three have in common? Death. It's been said that Peter, James, and John needed these special times of instruction concerning death because these three disciples would have a very unique encounter themselves with death. Peter would be the first disciple to be told of his death. In in John uh, 21, Jesus said, Peter, they're going to stretch out your hands and carry you where you do not want to go. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. He was crucified upside down. 
James would be the first disciple to be put to death, beheaded in Jerusalem, A.D. 44. And then John would be the last disciple to die. Kind of bookends there, banished to the island of Patmos. It was 90 years old, and John received the book of Revelation. And I say this because sometimes when God gives us a glimpse of glory, it's because he's preparing us for some suffering and maybe some sacrifice. The Lord uniquely prepared Peter, James, and John for what each of them would face. And listen, he will do the same thing for you in your life. He'll prepare you through, through Bible study, through radio programs, friends, trials that you face in your own life. These things will all prepare you that God will use for what lies ahead in your life. It's amazing to me how I'll, I'll hear a study or I'll read a, a commentary or something and, and, and I'll discover that, you know, that same thing that I read, same thing that I listened to, I could apply in my life a week later. We need to be sensitive to, to listening to the Lord's voice and, and see the Lord's faithfulness in preparing us for what He has in store for us. So Jesus was transfigured before them. Now what does that word transfigured mean? Well, we get our English word metamorphosis from that. It means a change that begins on the inside but manifests itself on the outside. When that little caterpillar, you know, spins a cocoon after a amount of time, out flies this butterfly. Metamorphosis takes place. So Jesus Christ is basically pulling back the veil of his humanity and allowing his deity to shine through that veil of humanity. It's like the story I heard about a little boy that was frightened one night during this great big thunderstorm and he called out to his dad in the other bedroom and said, Daddy, I'm scared. Come in here. His dad, who had settled in for the night and wanted to go to sleep, told the little boy, Son, it's okay. God is with you in that room right now. You're okay. And there's this moment of silence and then the little boy shot back, Dad, right now I need someone with skin on. I mean, that's what Jesus did. God came down with skin on. Jesus was both man and God at the same time. He was God in the flesh, but his flesh veiled his true deity. Just to look at Jesus back then, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say, oh, there must be something about that guy. There's something different. He kind of glows in the dark. And his voice, it's got this booming voice with built-in reverb. Hello, hello, hello. And that glow around his head. I, I think he's God. No, to look at Jesus, I mean, you couldn't tell him apart from any other person. He just looked like some man from Galilee. In fact, that was even prophesied. Isaiah 53, 2, For he shall grow up before you as a tender plant. And as a root out of a dry ground, he has no form of comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. See, we don't see the divine Jesus because all we know is our Jesus who is clothed in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, let me be clear. It's in the likeness. It wasn't sinful flesh, but looked like sinful flesh. The Bible says he took upon himself the form of a servant and emptied himself and became obedient to death. Jesus never stopped being God. But what he did is he laid aside the privileges of deity and walked among us as men. He didn't glow in the dark, neither did he speak with reverb in his voice, but that was still God in that human body that walked among those disciples. And again, for these three men, Jesus is actually pulling back that veil and letting his divine nature shine through so they're seeing who he really is. Maybe years ago you saw the old Ron Howard movie Cocoon where this group of elderly, elderly folks, they, they meet these aliens and they don't know, you know they're aliens at first and these folks are in their 80s and 90s and they start acting like they're 18 and 19 years old. They have all this energy and at one point in the movie you see one of these aliens that looks just like, like, like us and, and they unzip their skin a little bit and you see this bright light shine forth from their, their bodies. It's like, that's like what's happening here. 
Remember in John 17 when Jesus was praying his high priestly prayer to the Father, he said, I will that you would restore to me the glory I had before the world ever existed. That's what Jesus is demonstrating here, his pre-incarnate glory. John, who was there on the mountain as well, wrote in his Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John could have been referring to this mountaintop experience. It was glorious. And don't you love mountaintop experiences? I mean, I think of the ladies down, down at Branson. I don't know if it's a mountaintop, but it's, it's a, like a mountaintop experience. They're being ministered to, they're being spoken to, and, and God's, you know, refreshing their hearts. And maybe they go, no, let's just stay here. No, you can't stay there. You gotta come back. We need you back here. But, but, but it's that, that experience, that, that excitement of that. And I think you love those. These disciples, they could have been really discouraged. Jesus has told them, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And, and Jesus said, hey, your sorrows and your sufferings are the cross, though they're going to be changed to glory. Come up to the mountain with me. I want to show you guys a sneak preview. Past, come, you know, past and, and, and future. Come on, James, John, Peter, let's go. And up on this mountain and they're praying and Jesus is transfigured and they see his glory. Don't you think after that it would have to have changed their lives? That they'd come down from this mountain going, oh man, uh, the, the suffering that we're going through, man, it doesn't compare with the glory. Man, this is going to be great. Because again, not only was this a prequel of Jesus' past glory, it was a preview of His future glory and His second coming. Think about this, Revelation chapter 1, it says that Jesus' eyes are like the flame of fire, hair white as wool, His countenance like the sun, the brightness as the brightness of the sun, and out of His mouth a two-edged sword. That's what these disciples got a picture of, a taste of. They were given the sneak preview. The glory of His divine nature and the glory of His coming kingdom. How oh, awesome that must have been. You know, one of the things I really enjoy about the 4th of July is watching the fireworks through the eyes of children, through kids. I mean, they love it. They're enamored by it. They love it. You know, um, we had a fireworks party at the church did, oh, about four or five years ago and um, actually freaked the little kids out. We... <laughs> We had a truck set up and we had all the fireworks out and one of them tipped over and, and actually blew up all the fireworks at once and, and uh, it, was, it was an amazing fireworks show. It lasted all about five minutes, but it was just a bit explosive. And, and at that point, the kids, they weren't too thrilled by it. They were scared to death. But that's not my point. The point is, when there's a good fireworks show, the kids love it. You know, they got the sparklers and they're, they're passing it around and just smiling all over the place. Oh, this is so cool. This is, this is amazing. I wonder what Jesus saw when he looked at Peter, James, and John. Just that, oh, just that never, just, they're seeing the glory. Just, just, wow, this is great. And, and the glory that he had was reflecting off of them. And, and, and I mean, amazing. And let me make it clear. This was not some hallucination as some would, would teach. Wasn't some weird phenomena that Jesus was on the mountain and there just happened to be this bolt of lightning that came down and, and it kind of freaked them out and they thought it was something else. No. People say they have visions and, and, they, and people do have visions, but, but they want to justify things through a vision. This was actually, this, this was real. Jesus was manifesting his own glory and it wasn't the Father's glory reflecting off of him. It was his own divine glory radiating out from him. How marvelous that must have been. 
I mean, even with John, you know, standing at the foot of the cross and watching Jesus suffer and die, he could have easily, in his mind, gone back to that mountaintop experience as a man, but I saw his glory. I know how this is going to end. And that could have given him hope in that dark time. It's interesting to me, as Jesus and the boys are on their way down the mountain, Jesus tells the guys in verse 9, not to tell anyone what you've seen until I'm resurrected from the dead. Could you imagine trying to keep that a secret? Do you not want to shout it from the mountain? I saw the glory of the Lord. No, you need to keep it a secret. Why would Jesus say that? Well, because of the publicity over such a glorious vision might hinder Christ's mission, might divert him from the cross. So they had to keep it quiet. But man, it would have been tough. I would again, it would, again, it would be like seeing the movie and wanting to tell everyone how, it, how it's turned out. You know, I've seen the end of it. It's going to be great. No, don't tell me. Don't tell me. I want to experience it for myself. And one day we will. One day we'll share in his glory. If you've taken up his cross, if you died yourself, if you're following Jesus Christ, then it leads to glory. And we'll share, we'll see rather Jesus transfigured and we'll share in his, his future kingdom. What a, what a marvelous day that'll be. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, 18. He says, For I reckon... Paul was from the south. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Oh, great. He also said in 1 Corinthians 5 that we shall receive new bodies, which is going to really be needed for us because to be able to see his glory in his fullness. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I share this about every week. I could really use a new body. The Bible says our bodies, you know, that they, they groan earnestly. I find that I fulfill that scripture every morning I get up. Oh, time for me to be obedient to scripture. Oh, Lisa says, you've grown a lot. Yeah, well, I'm just following scripture and I'm obeying scripture. Groaning earnestly, desiring to, to be clothed with that new body from heaven. That'll be great. No more sin, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more, no more pain. We will share in his glory. That's what the transfiguration says to us. But you know, it starts to us... For us as believers, what Paul says in Romans 12 too, that we're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word transformed is the same Greek word here. Metamorphosis, being transformed. Let what God started on the inside be manifested on the outside. Too often our flesh veils Jesus from being seen from other people when it needs to be the other way around. That God in His glory would shine through our fleshly tents so others can see Jesus in us. But right now at this moment, we're told that we're being changed from glory to glory. And as we look to Jesus through the pages of His Word and, and He works in our lives by the power of the Spirit and we surrender to Him, uh, then we're being changed more into His image and His likeness. And then as we're told in, in the book of Corinthians that one day we will see Him, then we will be like Him because we'll see Him as He is. That'll be incredible. So number one, the vision. Number two, we come to the visitors. Look at verse three. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Now I want to bring up a few things about these visitors. But before we do, there's something interesting that Matthew doesn't record it, but Luke does in his gospel. He tells us that these three amigos, Peter, James, and John, Luke is snitching on them. He says that in Luke 9.32, but Peter and those with them were heavy with sleep. I mean, they get up to the top of the mountain and uh, all this is beginning to take place. And what are the disciples doing? They're sleeping. They're sleeping. Isn't that amazing? These guys have a problem with falling asleep. I think they still have descendants in the church today. I, I, I do. 
But I don't take it personal. You know, sometimes you know, all, I, all you have to do is hear my voice say, open your Bibles and turn to, and that's it. You're gone. You're out. And, and I know it's not my teaching. I haven't even started teaching yet. Years ago, there was, a, and I don't know why they did this, but there was a church here in town that had one of those signs that they do on, on the outside. And for whatever reason, this one church put on their marquee, having trouble sleeping, come visit us. I thought, how awful. It's kind of funny because every time you, you read about the disciples, you know, with Jesus, they're, they're sleeping. I mean, Jesus goes into Gethsemane and then the cross is just hours away and, and, and he's in deep agony. And he says, would you guys just stay awake with me and watch him pray? And he goes over just a few feet away from them, comes back and they're fast asleep. Hey, could you guys just stay awake and watch? I go, sorry, Lord, I'm awake, I'm awake. But you know, the great thing about our Lord is he's good at waking us up, is he not? Oftentimes, the Lord will use sorrow to awaken a man or perhaps some tragedy. But in that moment, through the tears, he will see the glory of the Lord. Maybe there's times where the Lord will open our eyes to, to, our, to our sense of need, wake us up to, to a sense of need that we have, that, that we can't fill by ourselves. When we come to that place where we go, you know, I just can't do this anymore. I'm empty inside. God, I need you to take care of this. And all we can do is look to him and he'll fill that need. Now, oftentimes, it's not a pleasant process. But it does wake us up to the things of God and, and how God can supply all we need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Maybe the Lord wakes you up to a need that someone else has. You know, I, I know, you know, with, with the tornadoes that came through this past week, and folks, maybe there's some trees that are cut down that need to be cut down or things to be done, cleanup needs to be happening. Maybe God said, hey, wake up, I want you to come over here and help these folks out. Well, here, these three wake up and they see these heavenly visitors some Old Testament celebrities, Moses and Elijah, suddenly appear. And we read that they appeared to them, uh, behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Now, I also find it interesting that the disciples seem to have no difficulty at all recognizing instantly who these men were. I mean, Jesus doesn't say, Peter, James, John, I'd like you to meet Moses and Elijah. He didn't say that. They knew instantly who they were. Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, there were no pictures back then. There was no, you know, nothing to tell us what they looked like. I don't think Moses and Elijah had little name tags that says, hello, my name is Moses and my name is Elijah. The Bible really doesn't tell us how they knew that, who they were, but it does suggest to us that we instantly will recognize each other in glory. We won't need name tags in heaven. You won't have to go around introducing yourself to people in heaven, which is a good thing because... Many of us wouldn't be recognized in our new bodies. Tom, is that you? You are really needing a new body. No, we're going to know even as we are known, the Bible says. So when we get to heaven, if you have a loved one that's already there and that has died in Christ, they'll still be your mom, they'll still be your dad, you'll still recognize them, you'll see your brothers, your sisters, your friends, and your other family members, you'll know them. That'll be so, so cool. Someone asked the great English preacher Charles Spurgeon if Christians would be able to recognize one another in heaven. His reply, do you think we will be bigger fools up there than we are down here? Now, think about what an amazing sight this must have been. There stood Jesus, luminous, radiating, shining, talking with Moses, who had been dead for more than 1,400 years. Elijah had been dead for about 900 years. I mean, that alone is proof that there's life after death. Because here standing there is still Moses and Elijah. You know, you hear these stories about reincarnation. I used to be a race car driver. Or I was this bullfighter. Or I was this queen. Or I was this king. 
course, nobody would say, you know, I was a nobody, I was this peasant, or I was a bug, who, you know. Always someone they, that they found interesting, someone that did something special. Listen, the Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. It is still Moses and Elijah after all these years. Now, why Moses and Elijah? Why not, you know, Daniel and Abraham or Joshua and Caleb? Well, Moses and Elijah occupy two unique positions in the Old Testament. Moses, we associate with the giving of the law, while we know Elijah as a great miracle-working prophet. And Jesus said in Matthew 5.17, Do you not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets? I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. All those, the laws, the Old Testament laws, and all the things were types and pictures of Jesus Christ. The prophets spoke about his death and suffering and the glory that would follow. And we notice here, that we read that Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus. Now, what were they talking about? Well, we, we don't know from Matthew, but Luke tells us. Luke tells us in chapter 9, verse 30, that, that his, they were talking about Jesus' decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They were talking about Jesus' death on the cross and what that would accomplish. So they're all talking together. Maybe Moses said, Lord, the reason I'm here is because of your promise to die and every sacrifice of the Mosaic Law and every offering of the Old Covenant was pointing to you and the shedding of your blood and you're dying for me upon the cross. And Lord, if you do not die and if you do not pay the debt of my sins, I will not make it to heaven. Lord, my eternal life depends upon your death. Maybe Elijah turned to the Lord and said, Listen, Lord, uh, all the prophets speak about you, Lord. One of them wrote, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That prophet went on to say, Lord, that the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. Lord, you must die for our sins. And, and I'll, or I'll not have a place in heaven. This conversation going on between Moses and Elijah and the Lord. A couple more things about these glorious visitors. Number one, very possibly that these are also the same uh, visitors, witnesses that will be found in Revelation chapter 11, just before the second coming of Jesus Christ, empowered by God to be a witness for Christ. And then number two, looking at Moses and Elijah, I see they represent the two ways that a believer goes to heaven. It's either by death and resurrection or life and, and, and translation. We know that Moses uh, you know, died and went to heaven, but his body was never found. In fact, Jude chapter... Chap- Verse 9, not chapter 9, there's only one chapter. Jude 9, it says that, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. And then there was Elijah, who was taken up by a whirlwind into heaven after a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated Elijah from Elisha. Now, the Bible says that as believers, when we die, we immediately go to be in the presence of the Lord. To be absent in the body is to be with the present, in the presence of the Lord. But it also teaches that there will come a time, to those that are alive remain, that the Lord will come back and take us off the earth, will rapture us off the earth. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I show you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will be changed. It's that great, same Greek word, metamorphosized. 1 Thessalonians 4, the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to ever be with the Lord. In that moment, in that twinkling of an eye, the corruptible must put on incorruption, mortal will put on immortality, and then shall be brought to pass the saying that death is swallowed up in victory. That's what these two guys represent. Two ways in which believers go to heaven. Death or by rapture. Jesus said, I go and I prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. 
See, when I read the story of the transfiguration, I think of the blessed hope that we all have in Jesus Christ. This glorious vision of Jesus glorified. We have the two visitors, Moses and Elijah. All it's just, it's just amazing. But it's actually too much for poor Peter. Look at verse 4 now. I love this. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Then you got to love Peter. Again, in Luke's Gospel, we're told why Peter said this. It said that Peter said this because he did not know what else to say, not knowing what he said. In other words, Peter got so excited, he didn't know what to say, so he blurts out, it's good that we are here. I mean, think about that. I mean, here is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Moses and Elijah, talking about the Lord's death, and Peter stands up and says, hi, Peter here. Um, I, I just want to say, it's good that we are here. Thank you all for coming. Let's build three tabernacles, one for you, Moses, one for you, Elijah, and of course, one for you, Jesus. There you go. And I have to wonder if Moses didn't look to the Lord and say, who is this guy? Or if Elijah didn't say, Lord, do you want me to call fire down from heaven? Let's just toast this guy. No, 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 no. He's Peter. He's okay. I'm teaching him. Don't, don't, he means well. Just a good lesson for us that, that, you know, if you don't know what to say, it's best not to say anything at all. Now, there is a reason why, and perhaps this is why Peter said what he said. Scholars believe that the, during the time of this transfiguration, it happened on the Jewish calendar that would fall when they were celebrating the Feast of the Tabernacles. You know, celebrating the children wandering through the deserts and the tabernacles. But also in that, not, that mind of thinking, Peter's thinking of the kingdom age. He's thinking of the millennial reign of Christ where we will come to Jerusalem once a year to remember what the Lord has done. And so Peter is thinking, well, let's usher in this kingdom age right now. No more talk about the cross. No more talk about dying. Thy kingdom come now, Lord. Your will be done now, Lord. Let's build three tabernacles. Now, while this is going on, Peter's making the suggestion, God the Father has to come in and interrupt. And that brings us to our third and final point. Number three, the voice. Look at verses five through eight. While he was speaking... In other words, why these words were still coming out of Peter's mouth. It's good that we're here, Lord. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And isn't that awesome? As Peter's speaking, suddenly this, this cloud overshadows them and just, just, just fills the place. And now this bright cloud is what I believe is a reference to the Shekinah glory of God, the presence of God manifested in the cloud. Same cloud that came between Pharaoh's army and the children of Israel when they crossed the Red Sea. Same cloud that led the children of Israel by day through the wilderness. Same cloud that came down upon the tabernacle when the Lord's presence was there. Same cloud that came down upon Mount Sinai when Moses received the law. Same cloud that Jesus went up in Acts chapter 1 when he ascended back into heaven. Same cloud that he will come in when he comes back in glory and the glory of the saints. The Shekinah glory. Shekinah means where God's presence is resting. The divine presence of the glory of God. But there was not just the cloud. There was the voice. And the Father is speaking here. And, and I can't help but think there had to be some reverb in his voice. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear Him. I mean, three times there was an audible voice from the Father that spoke 
into the life of Jesus. He spoke of the baptism, Matthew 3.17, when suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Just prior to the cross, there in John 12.28, Jesus said, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I both glorified it and will glorify it again. And then here in Matthew 17, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. But it doesn't stop there. Notice the phrase, he says, hear him. In other words, it says in the Greek, zip it, Peter. Okay, it doesn't say exactly, but (laughs) Peter, listen up. See, a problem with Peter, again, is that, that Peter made another mistake by putting Moses and Elijah and Jesus all on the same level. I mean, he said, Lord, it's good that we're here. Let's build a, a tabernacle for you, one for you, Moses, and one for you, Elijah. You know, Peter had listened to the stories of Moses and Elijah his whole life. He, he read of the law and of the prophets. He read about Moses and Elijah. Now the Messiah comes clearly superior to Moses, clearly superior to the prophets and what were represented. Peter missed it. Peter missed the law and the prophets were only partial expressions of God's word. Jesus is God's last word. Hear him. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2 says, God who at various times and various ways spoke in times past to the fathers, fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. God is speaking to us now. How? In Jesus Christ. And he says to us, hear him. My question this morning to us is, are we listening? God is speaking. Are we listening? He's speaking in the person of Jesus Christ. And I believe that his voice still speaks, even though Jesus is not being transfigured before us right now, even though we don't really see him up on a high mountain. Instead, we behold him through the pages of his word, through the pages of scripture. In fact, Peter will later write in 2 Peter 1.19 that even after this incredible experience with Jesus there on the mountain, seeing his glory and hearing the voice, he writes, but we have even a more sure word of prophecy. Peter's saying that the word of God that we have is even more greater than what we saw, what we experienced. And I believe that as Christians today, that we, we cannot base our faith on subjective experiences or spiritual phenomena. We must look to the word of God for the basis of all our faith and all of our practices. It's a word of God that abides forever. It's that solid rock of scripture. Yeah, we may not be able to see him transfigured, but we can all see him and behold him and hear him in the pages of scripture and obey him with our lives. Hear him, the voice of the father says. And then verse 6, I like this. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. Verse 7, but Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. I love that. The voice of the Father knocks them down on their faces. Brokenness. Humility. And Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, picks them up in tenderness and kindness. The voice of God thundered from Mount Sinai and said, This is the law. And we fall on our faces in fear and humility. But then Jesus comes along and touches our lives and says, Arise, do not be afraid. That's my grace. I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ. Were it not for Him, we would all still be on our faces. He is our salvation. Finally, we read in verse 8, When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. Moses was gone. Elijah was gone. Jesus only was standing there. I want to close with this. Two phrases from this study that we need to underline in your Bible. Highlight, mark, shook, remember if you don't remember anything else. Verse 5, hear him. And verse 8, Jesus only. Not only three of the twelve disciples saw the vision. But we have Jesus Christ. And he is sufficient to meet all of our needs. 
He's sufficient to meet all of your deepest, deepest needs in your life, your loneliness, your frustrations, your hurts, your pains, your great need for salvation, for salvation, forgiveness of sins, your need for eternal life. Jesus only can meet those needs. But what a wonderful thing to be left with only Jesus. I mean, you know, you can't get any better than that. Because Jesus is the only one that can meet our needs. Husband can't do it. Your wife can't do it. Your children can't do it. Money can't do it. A second job isn't going to cut it. Only Jesus can meet our deepest needs in our lives. But again, what a wonderful thing to be left with Him. He alone can transform our life. He can give you peace where there's turmoil. Give you hope when there seems to be no hope. Give you strength when you feel you can't go another step. And through the power of His Holy Spirit and the power of God our Father, He can transform your life if you let Him. Allow Him to transform your life this morning. Listen, Jesus came down from all eternity taking on the form of humanity hid His glory in order to die for each one of us here this morning. Jesus could have come and flashed across the sky like you see in the movies and I am God, repent. And all of us out of fear would fall on our faces and repent. And at the snap of His fingers, to borrow a movie phrase, He could have fallen, we would, He could have made us all believe instantly. But Jesus didn't do that. He came down in our likeness to meet us where we're at to show us that it's not about fear, it's about love. That God so loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. So much here to take in, Lord. So many things to learn, Lord. But we recognize that this world is not our home. And the pain and the suffering and the trials that we go through are only temporary. Because they are working in us a far greater glory, Lord. We know from your word that your word is sure, that your word is true, that one day we will stand before you and we will see your glory as Peter, James, and John did. And we will walk and live with you for eternity. What a great hope we have, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this glimpse in your word of what took place. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here that has not surrendered their hearts and life to you, or if they don't have this hope, that they would come and they would find this hope this morning. They would completely turn their lives over to you. Quit trying to fight this life alone, that they would rely on you solely, purposely put their faith and trust in you. Lord, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you again for this opportunity to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.